0: Going to find my product, my source, by looking at photographs of people in sweatshirts. This is <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State Podcast. Here's your host Scott Cowan. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Uh, my guest today is Rick Hastings with Liberty Cider Works in Spokane. Rick, welcome Thank to the show. Thank you, Scott. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, you say that now. No, just um, <laughs> Rick. What's your before? What? Let's talk about Rick Hastings pre-Liberty. What? What's your backstory?
1: Hmm. Uh, I grew up on the west side of Washington State, the Skagit Valley. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, for various reasons, uh, family down there uh, being one of the big reasons. I went to, uh, to school at the University of Texas in Austin um, and met my wife in Texas. Uh, she's a native Texan, but um, I, have some, I have some growing up history in Texas, too. I mean, I think I was seven or eight when we moved to Skagit Valley. But anyway, um you know degrees in in uh, in Texas uh, wife found there I a mean, drugger back because I love the Pacific Northwest uh, by the time we were ready to come back to Seattle, it felt like we were kind of priced out of the market and um, and didn't want to you know <laughs> spend our lives behind a steering wheel commuting thirty forty or longer minutes per day and um, so you know I having grown up there, you go, well. Uh, I don't know about the Spokane, but let's, let's go check it out.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Gra- I, can, back-
1: I can relate to this. <laughs> yeah. I graduated from the University of Texas with a degree in architecture. And so came up, you know, looking for that kind of job, um, and was kind of, um, enchanted, um, amazed, frankly, by, uh, Spokane and its, um, what was intact? I mean, the sixties they were tearing everything down and creating freeways. And they couldn't, you know, urban renewal, quote unquote, faster as mm-hmm. fast enough. But Spokane had somehow missed that train. And there were these beautiful, beautiful old buildings and a river, uh just jaw-dropping river that was flowing right through the heart of downtown with the falls. And and so many boxes you could check and say, what a wonderful city. Um but it you know, it just almost there. It just had so much potential. And so you know, um, big Eyes, um uh, idealistic, uh, you know, fresh out of architecture school, um, you know, maybe this is a hook, <laughs> and it was <laughs> uh, found it found a good job here uh, and have been honored to be part of this community since then. Um, been been involved in many things that i that I kind of enjoy talking about in other. Uh, it, it's a longer story, but I've had uh, a part and a hand in helping Spokane um, reorient itself to the river uh, and and keeping the falls at the centerpiece of the community. And there's a long, you know, like I said, a big backstory there. But um, architecture for quite a while, uh, and then the last decade or so in city planning and urban design.
0: So, in architecture, what was what was your focus?
1: When I was um, at ALSC Architects and, and uh, I think one other firm, um, mostly commercial stuff, uh, okay. schools. Um, I helped with uh, uh, a tech company that was you know was growing in um, Liberty Lake uh, and a few historic remodels in downtown, um, okay. some, some of the buildings that had been sort of laying fallow for a long time and um, had the chance to repurpose them and, and create space for new businesses and mm-hmm. new investment
0: that's a simple process isn't it you don't you know s- structural uses i i used to work for starbucks coffee in their corporate offices and during the nisqually quake the the building that we were in which is the old sears warehouse down in the soto district it just kind of split open in in ways and they were retrofitting it around us while we were, when we went back to work and I was always shocked at how much effort it took to, to retrofit a, a hundred some year old building. It's mm-hmm. they were built with different uh, standards than, than we have today. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I think I read somewhere. Well, first off, let me ask you, uh, go back to your wife. How were you able to convince her to leave Texas? because Austin's <laughs> Austin's a great city. I mean, I you know, I love music, so the the whole the, I have yet to get to Austin and it's like it's I must get to Austin and I must go and watch and hear live music. Yeah. And then I have this romanticized notion that the barbecue will be just world-class and amazing. So, it how is. did you Oh, okay. Well, how did you how did you convince a Texan to come up to the Pacific Northwest?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know that I you know to this date, I'm not sure I've convinced her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We we go day to day. You know. I, okay. we, uh, hanging by a thread. <laughs> okay. Thread. But when I graduated um, in uh, in '93. Uh, believe it or not, Austin was kind of uh, an economic doldrums. There weren't a lot of good jobs to be had. And the Northwest, right. on the other hand, was popping. So, you know, the job draw was a big part of it. Um, but uh, I know when I came up here, before we got serious about one another, I came up one day and just drove all around all my favorite places. Mostly in mm-hmm. the Skagit Valley at the time, went up to Mount Baker um, uh, out to the, the San Juans and I just took a zillion photographs and mm-hmm. I, I trotted those back and that was part of my sales pitch to convince her to come up. <laughs> it, it is a, it's an incredible state we live in. There's so, so much diversity, everything from yeah. rainforest to desert. Uh, you know, I've grown to, to really love the Palouse, uh, mm-hmm. country just South of here. Um, and, you know, there's you know, just so much to do and see. And if she was in the mood for for flat and desert, you know, we could check that box. Okay. Uh, hill country, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Lord knows okay. we've got lots of forest land. So she's enjoying it for sure.
0: What does she miss, though? Has she ever said to you, I miss X? What does she miss, if anything?
1: Oh, I don't know. One thing that, I'll, that pops to mind immediately, I think we both miss it, is the real dramatic weather in texas they get the thunderstorms that just you know like the finger of god uh, you know is just coming down on you uh it's exciting as heck uh i've witnessed uh, i think two tornadoes with with an eye shot and when i could see them you know coming and going wow. and coming out of the okay. clouds you know in texas and the, the lightning storms are just uh it's better than fireworks um and and uh i'll, I'll so, take your word for that <laughs> yeah that that okay. pops to mind first but you know the i think she's kind of a two season <laughs> girl she likes a little taste of winter and then everything else needs to be warm uh where is spokane you get the full four seasons it's yes, never full on fall it's kind of a it's it's kind of a touch of summer and a touch of winter and it's just kind of you know blends in it's and then you have a winter and yet you a very long winter and a very long spring and it's it's definitely four seasons here it's has been of a change um that way uh, for her too
0: this last winter was was rough this this last winter got to me um when actually was i kind of felt like jack nicholson in the shining for a while i just never left the house <laughs> and i just it was just uh it was a it was a tough winter for us here this year. And I know you guys got quite a bit of snow too. So, um, yeah, just, anyway, well, so you moved, you moved to Spokane in, in 93. Um, the city's obviously changed a lot in the, um, decade since and for the better. Um, what got you started with cider? How did, how did, how did you, you know, what was the impetus for you getting involved in cider? Hmm. Um, well,
1: I've, I've 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 always had hobbies of many stripes and types. Um, one of them happened to be making beer, um, and I enjoyed doing that. I thought, well, I'll try again. Um, but uh, my brother and sister in law, um, about that time, uh, both discovered they had celiac disease, and so you know, gluten intolerant. Uh, to you know. Uh, to the, mm-hmm. to an nth degree. Um, and so the, you know, the beer and pizza visits we used to have had, had, you know, turned into, well, what else? And so we, we found some <laughs> imported cider, you know, Blackthorn, I think it's called. And, um, and some of the imports from the UK. And, uh, I think we discovered we, we, we like them quite a bit. Um, and those are gluten-free. hmm and so, I'm, um, you know, I was looking around, and um, actually, I live now and then right next door to an urban winery, and I worked right next door to another urban winery, and so I knew these folks, and I thought, you know, this would be a fun career to have someday, um, but here we are in, you know, state of Washington, the apple state. We're known worldwide for our apples, and we may have 1,100, 1,200, or more nowadays wineries. Um, as many breweries, probably, but at the time, uh, uh, 12 years ago or so, um, we might be, maybe I think we were only a dozen cideries in the entire region. Um, why, why, why that disconnect? When we're growing such great apples, I, I thought, um, and you know, maybe I could, maybe, maybe I could do that uh, as an urban cidery, and so you know, uh, experiments. Started from trips to the the local orchard to have them sell me unpasteurized juice and, 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 uh, uh, little small batches in the basement. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and the hobby, uh, turned into a serious passion. And now it's completely out of control.
0: Now it's out of control. (laughs) Let me ask you. So when, when Liberty went commercial, when you went, you flipped the switch from a Enthusiast to professional, how many cideries were there? Do you think in Washington State at that time?
1: Well, I would guess a uh, two dozen when we finally two started. Dozen. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, and how many do you think there are today
1: in Washington State? I would guess sixty.
0: Okay. Um, and when you define a cider, you're, you're 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 talking about somebody who's just making cider, not necessarily a winery that's got you know making a cider here or there. You're, you're, are you?
1: I'm probably including those, but there's not very many wineries that are also making cider. There are a few. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a few breweries that are making cider, right. um, but for the most part, uh, the cideries that that would make a list are uh, exclusive to cider.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's been a pretty, you know, uh, been a lot of growth in the number of cideries. So we well, you know, since you, since Liberty went, I
1: yeah, think. it's it's really taken off. I think regionally, we're probably like regionally. I speak of the, the the members of the Northwest Cider Association, uh, which represents uh, uh, British Columbia, uh, uh, Idaho, uh, Montana, Washington, and Oregon. I want to say there's maybe 150 or so, maybe maybe a little bit more than that members, and okay. over okay. over and above the, the members, there are other ciders that just aren't members. So okay. it's it's. Uh, it's growing quite quite
0: quickly now. Okay, so if we go back to finding ciders to replace beer and pizza night, you mentioned a Blackthorn. I think was the, the the name that you mentioned. What was it about the cider that you you were all finding interesting? What was it?
1: Well, um, for you know, for me, I mean, it's just it's it's an approachable beverage. Uh, it's it's uh, refreshing. Um, and I, I appreciated how uh, it could be expressive. You know, you were really tasting uh, the essence of the apple, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and it wasn't sweet. It was it was dry. It was you know, it, it seemed quaffable, uh, sessionable, uh, and and just really complemented uh, the food, uh, whatever we had seemed to have on the table that seemed to go well with. It didn't clash with. It didn't demand <laughs> to be front and center. Uh, It was, it was uh, happy to be part of the meal and, uh, you know, helped, helped with everything. It was kind of a a way to kind of tie the meal together.
0: Okay. When you first started making your own uh, at home for fun, uh, any, I always, I always love to ask, you know, mistakes, failures, but you know, when you first started, did everything go smoothly or did, did you, uh, was there a learning curve? You're already a, a, a home brewer. So you kind of, have some of the familiarity with certain things. Um, How was the first batch of cider? Do you remember?
1: I do. In fact, I think I still maybe have a bottle or two down in the basement. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. I don't think it's drinkable now, but it's, it's, (laughs) it's sort of there gathering dust. And I look upon it from time to time to think, you know, in the day,
0: (laughs) Uh
1: uh-huh okay uh no the first batch went pretty smoothly i really didn't have too much trouble you know cider can be incredibly simple to make um you know if you're using uh, just a commercial yeast and just some juice uh Uh and throw that yeast at that juice uh and make sure you've got things relatively clean put a cap on it uh, it'll take off and it'll ferment to dry and it may not be very interesting but if you've if you've at least dealt with the the uh, cleanliness thing and uh, and and made sure to prep the juice properly it it turns out just fine um, and so mine did too i just didn't it, you know I, I enjoyed it a lot but i quickly learned that it can be a whole, whole lot better uh if you start with really good apples it's, it's like, you know, your first, if you, if you tried to make your first batch of wine with Concord grapes or or uh, Thompson seedless <laughs> grapes, well, yeah, you'd have, you could, you could have wine uh, and you might enjoy it. It might actually be uh, quite enjoyable uh, for, I don't know, but we know that Merlot grapes and uh, grapes that are grown specifically for wine make a world of difference in what expresses in the glass. And I've you know, not knowing it at, at the outset, but I learned fairly quickly that there are apples uh, that are uh, grown exactly in the same way. They don't necessarily taste good off the tree, but they—they're not supposed to. Uh, they're supposed to be pressed and made into cider, uh, and okay. then then they shine. And really, it it sets uh, it's, it's it's another it's a whole other level uh, when you move to okay. a cider-specific apple than than say first- Fuji.
0: So your first batch, what what apples, do you remember what apples you used your first time?
1: I don't. Um, I think I went to the, uh, there's a green uh, area in Spokane called Green Bluff, where there's a lot of orchards uh, still up there. It's kind of a mm-hmm. eco-tourism kind of place now. Um, right. But I'm guessing it was probably uh, Braeburn and, uh, oh, I don't know, Fuji's and, and maybe some Granny okay. Smiths thrown in, you know, the things that you mm-hmm. would pick and eat from a, you pick orchard. Uh, right. Hanson's okay. orchards where I got them is, you know, for the, So record.
0: more like a dessert apple, if you will.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of okay. what they're called dessert apples. And so
0: you quickly learned then that there are, you know, better apples for cider. Where did you start sourcing those from? Cause those aren't typically available at your local you pick. No, they're not. Um, and that's when I started
1: going, um, you know, hat in hand to the cideries that were open um, kind of becoming a cider groupie and uh, <laughs> showing up at harvest and going, wow, can I help? <laughs> uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll help you with this or help you with that. Maybe I'll help for a bottling or can I just buy some extra juice from you? And uh, in that, in that uh, mode, um, I think the folks I got most of my juice from that, that really made, made a huge difference for me was from Snowdrift Cider in East Wenatchee. Uh, Mm -hmm. Peter Ringsrud, who I think you interviewed him uh, once uh, a while back. Super Mm -hmm. nice guy, wonderful family, um, and they were so kind to share, you know, five gallons of this and five gallons of that for about two or three years where I uh, took them back and froze some and, you know, a five-gallon batch in my basement and sequentially did that and then entered Mm -hmm. uh, the results in, um, you know, uh, international competitions or national competitions and... uh, and was getting good results. Um, and so starting out with the help of uh, the rings route at Snowdrift.
0: Peter, Peter's a very nice guy. I've, uh, I sat down with him and talked to him. Uh, our interview that I sat with him was actually next to their tasting room while the tractors are going around, uh, you know, working, working orchard. Uh, that was kind of interesting. But they, uh, his name has popped up with, with other cider, cider makers too as being someone who has been helpful. Mm -hmm. so so what okay so we started off because you're trying to find something gluten free you expand that into a little bit more like this is kind of fun I like doing this I'm having results with this when did the idea that hey this is a business come to mind
1: (laughs) well I think I mentioned the the, uh my proximity to urban wineries and so the seed mm-hmm. was kind of planted in my head that uh it looks i mean the, the 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 winery right next door to us it's behind the brick wall uh where i'm sitting here uh, literally mm-hmm. is um, barrister winery uh and there are a couple of attorneys you know that uh, w- w- gave up one one gave up his career he was kind of tired of practicing law and and took up wine uh, but i thought you know I don't know that I want to be behind a a computer screen, you know, clicking away at a mouse uh, for the rest of my life. And, uh, and so at some point I would like to transition into something like that. And so this urban cidery, when when cider cider came to the picture, you know, that it fit really neatly into the mold of an urban uh, beverage company. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I was always kind of hoping this was the way it would go. And as I, you know, Started out making in the basement and reading every book I could lay my hands on and talking to cider makers I could speak with. Uh, that led to uh, taking a coursework from a, a gentleman named Peter Mitchell, who comes over from the UK. At the time, anyway, I don't think he comes over anymore. But at the time, he came and taught cider making, a week-long course in cider making uh, in, at Cornell in, in New York State and in Mount Vernon, Washington. Um, as coincidentally where I grew up and, you know, so I had free room and board there Uh, and I ended up (laughs) signing up and taking that coursework. And, you know, you spend the, what is a thousand bucks, I think to take that, that course at the time Uh, I'm taking, you taking vacation time off to do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, You kind of feel like you've made a commitment and it's maybe time to start thinking, uh, you know, uh, Fisher cut bait on this. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how it, 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 that was kind of the tipping point when I realized things were pretty darn serious. Okay.
0: Okay. I've never met your wife. I've only talked to you just briefly, but has your wife been supportive? Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: skeptical at first, but, uh, but very generous and, and, uh, letting, uh, this passion of mine run its course. And it's, it's okay. led, led to really wonderful things. We've had uh, many trips, uh, got to know many people. Um, uh, there, there's lots of reasons. I think a lot of vocations will do this for you, but cider is definitely one of them. If you can uh, use it as a means to see the world, a set of lenses, as it were, uh, that uh, leads you to, to meet people that you know grow your apples or press your apples, or, or they're also in the industry, Uh, or that you're, you know, visiting a, you know, a place in the world that's, uh, you you know, famous for apples. I don't, we've had some adventures and uh, she's been very supportive.
0: Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question. So what was it like when you came home and said, I think I want to go take a class in Mount Vernon while I'm on vacation. And it's going to cost maybe a thousand bucks. Did she look at you like you were crazy or was she supportive of the idea?
1: <laughs> supportive of the idea, but only because the topic, had, I mean, think it seemed to be inevitable.
0: You kind of see it coming Okay. Okay. <laughs> by okay. that time. <laughs> <laughs> so she just resigned herself and said, all right, go. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Okay. So how did you come, how, how did you come up with the name Liberty Ciderworks? Well, okay.
1: Okay. Uh, my business partner at the time, um, uh, another architect, um, I think he and I were casting around for names for a good long time. Uh, as it turned out, Liberty, there's a, there's an apple called Liberty. Uh, it was an apple I was using quite a bit, um, that we were getting from a, from the orchard, one of the orchards we still work with. Okay. And so that the apple name was like, okay, maybe it's an apple name that the Satteries, uh, adapts to, um, Uh, But then we thought, well, okay, why Liberty? Well, hmm. we could say, we we maybe could build the brand a little bit around uh, the the word Liberty seems to have um, ties to colonial America, you know, Patrick Henry, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Uh, That happens to be the, you know, the heyday of cider in North America. Um, And uh, so there's a lot of interesting history, you know, that we could, you know latch on to with the name perhaps so it has maybe a marketing hook uh and then i think the final turn was we realized that he and i both worked at a, the same architecture firm uh in the uh, in a building called liberty the liberty building in downtown spokane uh, auntie's bookstore okay. is still there and the, the architecture firm we worked with at the same time uh is still there too so like oh, one two three okay let's go okay. <laughs> there you go
0: yeah and when you first started, what was your fir- first commercial product? And don't say cider. I mean, uh, <laughs> what yeah. was the what was the, what was the first the first commercial variety you were selling? We had
1: um, uh, maybe three um, that we kind of got out of the gate with, and, and and one of them comes to mind. First off, we we called it was called New World. Uh, it was a blend. Um, And it was a blend that was intended to evoke a cider that was made predominantly with cider apples, Uh, but it was a blend that was uh, dessert apples, but blended with crab apples uh, that we were able to get our hands on. And, you know, we couldn't get um, some of these English or UK or French varietals or not very many of them anyway, but how do you approximate that versus just doing a straight up dessert fruit and adding sugar or adding things to how do you mm-hmm. uh, come up with something that's as interesting or, or at least on the same in the same ballpark as one that was, you know, began with Dabonet apple, let's say. And mm-hmm. so um, New World was a blend of, uh, like I said, uh, dessert apples. I think it was Liberty, Empire, Macintosh, and Cortland uh, with uh, Manchurian crab apples, a little tiny apple that was just really, really intensely flavored and full of tannins, uh, a lot, lots of acidity and, and in, in, you know, maybe 10 percent blend. It made a world of Mm -hmm. difference and made that cider taste almost as good as uh, a full-tilt cider made with cider-specific apples. Uh, So that was one of the ones we started with. We also had another one that was, I mean, limited quantities. We just called it English-style, which it was intended to to approximate a uh, West Country-style cider, uh, which is typical in uh, the southern UK. We could get a few Dabinets and and Chisel jerseys and... uh, Browns apples and, um, you know, some of those. And it was a blend. Um, and we also had to blend it back with some dessert apples to make it commercially viable.
0: Um, but
1: that was another one that uh, that we started out with.
0: Okay. When we talked on the phone, and I'm looking at your website over here, and, and right now I'm looking at a headline that says, Inspired by there, but made like here. You had mentioned that you, you take... Great pride in sourcing your your apples locally, and you're you're using what is available in your area versus importing apples from, say, you know, New York. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: when When was the when was that decision made? How did you, and how did that come about?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I think it's it's a, a it could be just a pragmatic decision, and on some level, maybe it was. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy to continue to try and get uh, in our area. I'll use an example. There's an apple called Yarlington Mill. Uh, love that apple. Makes a fantastic cider. Uh, one of my favorite ciders in the world, Oliver's Cider um, in the UK, uses a lot of Yarlington Mill. But they are really susceptible to um, a viral uh, issue called fire blight in our area. And so it'd just be crazy to try and grow not just the Arlington Mill, but many other types of apples that are susceptible to fire, fire blight. Or mm-hmm. that maybe maybe really only shine if it's, say, a marine climate. Now, Spokane's not a marine climate. Spokane is semi-arid. Uh, and we have long winters. And so not every apple will thrive here. And I guess you could you know, just try and be insistent on sticking with those apples that you know uh, – from having drunk, apple, drunk cider in the U.K, but why try to shoehorn those apples into, this, into your area? Um, mm-hmm. I think there are apples, apples are incredibly adaptive, and they're going to be varieties that will just just almost grow themselves, wherever you are in the world. And so let's figure mm-hmm. out which apples those are, that grow beautifully and express our area and express you know, our, our climate. Um, that also happen to be really, really good for cider. And, you know, there are many, there are many varieties that, that are just that way. Uh, we have to find out the hard way because there's just not much experience to go around in what grows well in the Palouse. I mean, I think there's only one or two uh, orchards in that area, maybe that ever have been. Um, Mm. it's wheat, it's wheat country. I mean, it, it could, it could be, and should, maybe should be, you know, apple country too, but, um... But anyway, you know, you find out by planting and seeing what happens. Maybe, maybe uh, you, you definitely kind of do your research and talk to lots and lots and lots of people before you spend the money to put something in the ground. But, but that's one reason. It's you know just being pragmatic. Uh, but then there's the lyri- more lyrical reason that you know to, to be able to talk about what's in the glass. Uh, you know, this is something that um, that represents an apple or apples. Uh, that um, we found to to grow beautifully, and maybe maybe better than anywhere else that we've uh, encountered. Maybe better than anywhere else in the world. They mm-hmm. seem to belong here, and and so that is a story about us. That's a story that's unique to us, and it uh, it it becomes part of the story that our brand tries to express.
0: Well, give me an example of an apple that you feel grows well, and maybe better in northeastern Washington?
1: Well, two, um, I'll I'll, I'll mention Macintosh. Uh, That is, uh, it's a dessert apple, but it is uh, also uh, more properly, I think, uh, classified as an heirloom apple, which means it is at multi-purpose. It's great for cooking and culinary use, uh, but also for cider. Uh, it's not, uh, it doesn't have the tannins that we typically associate with a complex cider-specific apple, uh, but it uh, tends to, um, uh, the, the, you know, the fruity esters that, uh, that don't seem to ferment away, uh, they're left in the glass at the end of a fermentation, give it just, just an amazing fruitiness and um, uh, a full-bodied character to it um, that belies the fact that it may be uh, very, very dry. It still tastes sweet somehow and still tastes fruity somehow. Now, a Mac from the East Coast, uh, so I'm told. I mean, there's many cider makers that, that I have uh, deep respect for won't even touch a Macintosh uh, because it just doesn't finish that way in a glass. Now, there are many hmm. other places that maybe it does, but um, the apples, the, the Macintosh apples that grow in the Palouse and in our region, I'll, I'll also mention... Uh, in uh, montana just over the just over the border from, from us mm-hmm. uh, grow amazing macintosh apples too but i f- found them to be you know really world class there's something about the Max, huh? something about this area uh, that max just seemed to love uh, and so um you know if you if you look around for the i don't know anyway there's they're amazing they're, the, the macs are just better than anything i've encountered anywhere the other one that I''ll, I'll bring up is uh, golden russet uh, that's an American um, cider apple um, and it grows well in other parts of the country too but I was just at a conference in um, in Virginia and um, and I was able to, ta- to taste various golden russet apples from from over there and you know you could tell that it was golden russet you're Swirling at the glass, you, oh, that smells like a golden russet. Mm, yeah, I'm getting some golden russet character and flavor, mm-hmm. but it's it's just dialed back. It's it's just mm-hmm. not as acute. It's just not as 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 wonderful as the golden russets we're able to to get and grow here. Um, and uh, I mean, ours almost have to be blended back because they are so so over the top. Um, okay. the, 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 characteristics are almost too much, but, um, that's, that's the flavor in the glass, but the, uh, the golden russets that are grown for us, uh, by, uh, one of our partner, Richard's, uh, Topcliffe in Prosser, uh, are, that's, that's wine country. And I don't know that anyone's really thought to grow apples <laughs> uh, in wine. Well, and it, with sort of that mindset and that's the way he does. Right. In fact, all our orchards do that. They're not growing apples to ever be sold on the grocery store shelf or to be wholesaled out even though they might be able to uh, they're growing them like wine grapes they're you know not trying to get them big not trying to get them pretty not trying to get them uh to to march to a certain tune they're not picking them early uh, but his golden russets uh come with sugar levels that are freak- they're just off the charts the sugar levels we get in the golden russets from from bill at top cliff would yield uh, and typically do yield something in the neighborhood of 12, half percent alcohol. With residual wow. sugar, it's not like the yeast just gives up that we use. The wow. yeast just kind of stops working and we're left with a nicely balanced some residual sugar and still mm, almost too much alcohol. <laughs> and that's owing to the it's owing to our climate. That's owing to the amount of sunshine we get and the, the really cold, the, the heat cycles. Cold at night, warm in the Mm -hmm. day, cold at night, warm in the day. Those things help the trees produce sugar. And so we're, you know, it's kind of exciting to be able to discover uh, what apples can do uh, in our area. uh, If you're growing them deliberately uh, for cider and not for uh, the grocery store.
0: I want to confirm something. Liberty Cider Works, you do not have an orchard where you're raising apples, correct? You source all your apples? Yes, yeah,
1: okay. I mean, I'd love to. I wish I hope someday to have my own orchard, but at, at right now <laughs> I'm really glad I don't because it is a uh, full time job and then some, uh, just making cider and running the business to have an orchard to have to worry about. To uh, my hat's off to any and all that do both, okay.
0: So, through the years, you've you 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 jokingly said earlier on, you were a cider groupie and you'd go around and, you know, offer to help and in return for an opportunity to, you know, take some apples back or some juice back with you. How did you go about developing the relationships with the orchards? I mean, same sort of thing, literally going and knocking on the door of these people, or did you ask them to plant trees that would meet your needs or how, how did we get to where we are today?
1: Well, so far it's been kismet. Um, the, uh, the, the orchard we work with and get most of our apples from is Bishop's Orchard in Garfield, Washington. Uh, Steve and Sally mm-hmm. Bishop, um, as it turned out, both took uh, the Peter Mitchell class because I think, at, I know at one point they wanted to make hard cider as well. Uh, mm-hmm. and they're the orchardists, but they thought, well, we've got all these apples, let's make cider too. Uh, they ended up taking the Peter Mitchell class in Cornell. And I okay. had finished my coursework here in Mount Vernon and was, I think, working on my database and all the people that I knew had met, you know, uh, and so who took the class at Cornell? Um, and I I think I stumbled upon a, a slideshow of um, the, uh, the students at the Cornell class. And there was this one guy sitting in the, uh, you know, in the, in the photograph, there's this one guy with this sweatshirt on that says Bishop's Orchard Garfield, Washington <laughs> on it. <laughs> and so I was just that chance photograph that I happened to see and, you know, was attentive enough to see what was on a, on a sweatshirt. And then, you know, Google, Google, phone call, phone call. You don't know me, but, and, and so it began. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh,
0: what, what apples are they raising or you know, growing?
1: Really? Well, so they they're they're the ones that provide our Macintosh apples. We're not using okay. too many of their dessert apples anymore. I mentioned Cortland and uh, you know uh, Liberty and some others too, but they they still grow those. But we're kind of we're kind of using just the Max. But they uh, they also have uh, most of our um, we call them English apples, but they're you know cider specific apples. Uh, we get all of. Um, most of those, I, sh- I should say, from the Bishop's Orchard too. So they have a section of the orchard that's set aside just for the apples they grow for us um, that uh, include Dabinet and Kingston Black and Chisel Jersey and Brown's Apple and Filiberro, Um And I'm sure there's three or four others that, uh, that I'm missing, but, you know, you get the gist of it.
0: Right. So it was just random luck, if you will. Yeah. A photograph with a sweatshirt on. Right, That's not something you can put into a business plan. No. I'm going to find my product, my source, by looking at photographs of people in sweatshirts. This <laughs> is not, you sat down with your banker and said, hey, this is my business plan, and they're going to throw you out. I mean, it's just over. You know, the right. conversation's dead. Right.
1: <laughs> I mentioned Top Cliff Farms uh, in Prosser. They're another uh, big supplier of ours. Uh, Bill Howell uh, is the... Uh, is the orchardist there he and Lynette um uh he he too I think wanted to be a cider maker and he was actually in my Peter Mitchell class there were two of them actually Peter Mitchell classes one and two but he was in the second one and so I got to know him a little Mm -hmm. bit there and so when we discovered you know when he discovered I think that he didn't really want to get into the cider biz either uh it was an easy thing to say you know look you've got some great apples going here uh how about Liberty just buys them from you, and so that's 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 another big source, and so it's just luck. <laughs> okay. um, we would have hunted people down, I think, uh, regardless. But I was really fortunate. We've been incredibly fortunate to to you know just have found people that already had these amazing apples in the ground in a mindset uh, that was attuned to cider and not really focused on uh, yield pound you know you know pounds per acre. Uh, how much can I get on this in the wholesale market? And, you know, oh, there's this, there are these troublesome dudes that show up, want to buy apples for us to use cider, uh, to use for cider. Uh, no, no. These people already, um, uh, um, are already sympathetic to and appreciative of what we're trying to do.
0: I'm looking on your website at your, you have like a graph. I'm looking at Porter's Perfection. And you have a graph, like a tasting or a, a, a like a, a flavor wheel, maybe or a. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody just display their product like this. So I'm, well, I'm a little awkward here in this because I'm looking at this, going, "Wow, this is really quite interesting." Um, how did you? How this? How'd you? How'd you? Determined to start doing, displaying your, I know I'm, I'm. this is bad radio, if you will, but I'm, I'm reading, and let me just read this. So you, what I'm looking at is your Porter's Perfection 2.22. You give a, a brief description of what it is. Um, then you describe the vintage, the number of volume that you've made, how you've conditioned it, the varietals used, origin, process notes. And then you have this chart. How'd you, what, walk me through that, please.
1: <laughs> well, um, you know, cider is so new to most people. It's, 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 you know, it's getting less new. I mean, people are getting used to the notion of it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's still a big learning curve ahead. And we've always thought of our tasting room and, and part of our mission is to, to educate people about cider um, in, in whatever way we can. Um, and there's um, one one way I think is to to, to give people information about how we what we've done and how we've done it and what's what's in it and you know what the process was, what's the story behind it, uh, what, how did how did we ferment it, uh, what did it spend time in a barrel, yes or no, uh, how mm-hmm. much time, um, you know, tell me about what's in this glass here, um, what about those apples, uh, what, what's a dab of that, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so that kind of information is just always useful uh, and compelling to a lot of folks. And as they become, you know, newbie, as they transition from newbies to cider heads, then they're 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 really uh, appreciative of that information. So, um, you know, I'm I'm learning about all this myself as we go through learning about the the the, the, the charms and and. and uh, foliables, I suppose, of different apples, and and so this is we're on a, this, we're on this journey together. So you know, for our club uh, and for our special ciders, um, I think well, I think all our ciders we have spider charts on, but um, but especially we, I think starting out with the club, we wanted to give people a takeaway with their their you know quarterly trio of bottles that went into that kind of detail. Yeah. And so yes, that chart that you're talking about is is just one way of um, well, I guess helping record and and uh, document what uh, what typically presents in the glass. You know, of course, it's it's my palette. It's it's maybe my my wife Charlotte's palate. Uh, it maybe it's one of my partners mm-hmm. when we get around and talk about these things. What are you tasting? Uh, but I think it opens the door to appreciating uh, what uh, cider is and can be uh, by you know at least uh, touching on some of the big categories, uh, of, uh, flavor and or aromatic experiences you're likely to have. Is it, uh, is it, uh, fruity? Well, okay. Yes. But what kind of fruit is it? Stone fruit? Is it, is it uh, like a palm fruit more, or is it, uh, is it tropical? Uh, some of these broad categories are really helpful in that, yes, you can taste in some ciders, it's a tropical. note. Okay. We start there. Well, what kind of tropical is it? Bananas, you know, you know, these various, Categories of fruit that then, as you're, you know, sipping and sw- and swirling and savoring this this thing, you can you begin to tease out these specifics that otherwise may not just leap off your tongue. We're not all we're not all sommeliers, um, and so um, it 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 gives you a chance to again uh, enjoy what you've got. If you want to take the time and sort of get nerdy with it, uh, you can. I, I encourage people to go through this exercise of kind of rating a one through five. For all of these different categories of, that we have on our little wheel. And then you, you know connect the dots and make a little spider chart. It, um, it helps document what we've done. And uh, we can look back on uh, five or 10 years from now and see maybe if the dabinet is changing a bit or if we're uh, you know kind of finding, uh, finding out what it is dabinets will and always seem to express um, in our I- area with our dabinets,
0: with our process. So I'm on your shopping cart now and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, firmly planted. I'm not seeing any infused with jalapeno or, um, you know, th- these are more fine ciders
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus, a. I, I don't know, what's the other word I want to use, but Versus, um, uh, help me out here. I'm struggling. But mass market, yeah, I mean, commodity. You know, you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. commodity. Okay. Right. And I'm I'm looking through here, and you you are presenting it in in a manner very similar to me that how wine is presented when I look at a wine if I'm online looking at wine. And you've got a number of varieties here. We don't have time to talk about them all, but what can you highlight? What's, what do you, what are you really exceptionally proud of right now that's available to the public?
1: Oh, I like They're all like my children. Um, I love them I all.
0: Know. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, a, it, but you know.
1: it depends on what I'm in the mood for what I'll reach for. But I really, I'm really enjoying the Brown's apple right now. Uh, that's a, it's an English side of a ride that seems to really just almost you know, just thrives in the Palouse, uh, it is not as sharpened by a- acidic as uh, as uh, as the Browns are in other parts of the world. It's it's a softer. Um, it you know they're usually used to blend with. Um, they're, they're called the bitter sharp um, for for a reason. They've got a lot of tannins, so the bitter. That, that's where the word bitter comes. So it's what it relates to, and then the sharp is the malic acid. Um, this one is not that sharp, and it does have a lovely tannin-level uh, character um, and and a really intense fruitiness. The, um, so that's one. Uh, that's one also where the native yeast that we use, which is another thing that I think sets us apart from 95% of the cideries in the region. Um, not the world, because uh, cidery, all cideries in France and Spain... And most cideries in the UK use natural yeast too, but that's what we do. Uh, and so, this mm-hmm. natural yeast that's on the apples, that's that's part of the microculture in the orchard, that comes to our place in the juice and then ferments the cider, has just seems to just marry incredibly well with this apple. The uh, there's a there's a, just a lovely amount of residual sugar in that Browns that helps balance out some of that acidity, gives it an amazing fruitiness, but there's also a depth of character. It's just not a one note. There's several notes going on. It's a, it's a lovely thing in the glass and relatively low alcohol. Uh, so it's, uh, it's quaffable and enjoyable. It, it, uh, that's one for sure. Uh, Kingston Black is another one. Um, that's one we won a Good Food Award uh, with um, just what's this year. We entered it last year. But that's an incredible honor. Um, that's, uh, that's a national award um and uh, it's not just that it's it, you know their their criteria include um, re- a lot of specific questioning to ensure that the kind of apples we're growing are sustainable uh, that we have uh, you know good practices that are sort of a slow food movement ethos And so we've mm-hmm. been able to avert to those things uh, and both in our the way that our apples are grown and the way they, they you know they're responsibly managed and, all of that stuff, and then you know you get something wonderful on the glass. Kingston Black is another UK cider varietal. you would ask ten cider makers what their favorite cider apple is, I think nine of them say Kingston Black. And so this one turned well, out really well. Well, that's a well. question
0: I was going to ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you. I'm going to make you pick one apple, the only apple you can work with for the rest of your career. I know it's a terrible (laughs) question for you. I know it, 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 but I I just started asking this one. So I haven't asked it to everybody, but what I'm going to make you pick one apple you can work with the rest of your career. God, That's cruel. I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Kingston black is so hard to grow. I think I would be, I'd be pulling my hair out, uh, just trying to get those apples on a, on a regular basis. So as much as I love that okay. apple, I'd set that one aside. I would say, you know, Liberty and our, our, our approach is to try and coax the very, very best out of American apples uh, that we can. And so maybe, you know, I'll be bold and say I'll take off those UK side of varietals that I love and pick an American apple. And then if I narrow it down that way... Uh, I'm left with two golden russet, which I think is just amazing. And then wicks and crabapple, crab apple, which I was sort of on the fence about for a long time until we got our hands on the ones that Bill Howell grows. And we're about to bottle that. In fact, I'm after I hang up, I'm going to go bottle a, a big tank of it. It is just okay. phenomenal. Uh, and I think it's super approachable. Um, and uh, it's an American apple that was it was cultivated and created by a gentleman named Albert Etcher. I think he was first brought into the world in say the 30s in Northern California. Um, but since I don't actually have to hold to this promise, I'll Wix and crab apple.
0: <laughs> okay, All right. <laughs> and I know that that was a, a you know a terrible question. it's pretty mean but it's still kind of fun to watch people squirm as they work it through Mm -hmm. i'm looking at your raven oak and uh another guest that we'd had on previously was was dry fly dry fly distilling and so i see that you're you're working with them as far as their barrels go um that's have you been to their new distillery
1: just once yeah yeah we went picked up some picked up
0: some barrels there recently it's uh pretty impressive it's, it's it's kind of jaw dropping when you're like, oh my gosh. So, what is the barrel? Help me out here. What so when you age this in a barrel, what what are you noticing comes out? What what are you extracting from that the wood? What, how does that help with the finish?
1: Well, for that one product, uh, we're really trying to um, marry the character of what had been in the barrel before, i.e., whiskey with a blend of apples that seem to really harmonize with that And so in that case we are um, you know bringing definitely bringing that uh, whiskey character uh, into the uh, onto the stage and uh, and again finding an apple that just seems to work well with that and that's that's what uh, Raven Oak is um, and so the whiskey barrels we get from dryfly for that particular product the first. That first time that cider gets that and spends three, six months in there, we're trying to get that whiskey uh, flavor developed uh, or that, you know, that marriage of those flavors developed. Subsequently, though, when that barrel has been used once, we'll use it again and again and again, and it becomes more and more neutral. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. we end up with, you know, a, a bunch of barrels that started out life as dry fly whiskey barrels, but now they're neutral French oak. And we'll age many of our ciders in those, not trying to draw whiskey notes out of, but really trying to uh, capitalize on the things that you can get when you uh, put a a fermented beverage in oak, Uh, which which is uh, some oakiness. Yes, uh, but also micro oxygenation that happens that helps marry the flavors and and smooths the product out over time. Those things that you do with wine, Mm -hmm. you know, cider is really just it is just wine made with apples. Uh, the exact same right. methodology, uh, and and at least the way we approach it, the same sort of mindset and intent, trying to coax the the most flavor out of those those things that have been doted on by these orchardists that are just you know it's their that's their passion it's their love it's the reason they get up at two a.m. in the at night uh, to try and check on these apples to make sure they're going to be okay because it maybe there's a cold snap coming through. Um, they put as much love and care into these things as, as we put into the cider, and we've, we've got to honor
0: that. Your tasting room, How? when is it open? What's, t- let's talk about that for a little bit.
1: Well, we used to be Wednesday through Sunday. We're Thursday through Sunday now, post-COVID. We might pop back open on Wednesday soon. But it's, it's Thursday, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, evenings from uh, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., uh, and Sunday, I'm I'm a, I'm in the tap room on Sunday from uh, from two to six. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so it's uh, people pop in, and we've got lots and lots of regulars, uh, uh, lots and lots of people that pop through that uh, may be here for a convention uh, from the Midwest. What do they think of when they think of Washington State? Apples. <laughs> Is there a cider nearby? Well, you know, the Google map says Liberties a couple blocks away. So we get a lot of those folks too.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh before we hit record, uh, you have some exciting news, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's exciting. Mean, you're closing on a building? Yeah. That's very it's very
1: exciting for us. We are just, I mean, it's like working on a, a yacht. You're uh, working on a ship, you know. There okay. uh, you you have to <laughs> everything's floor to ceiling, uh everywhere <laughs> you look. And that's the way it's had. We've had to. We've had to operate for, for way too long. Uh, but we are okay. closing on a building um, and a property next week, uh, not too far from where we're at, um, and, uh, and it's like three times the size and about the same lease rate. Uh, so um, oh. yeah, it's uh, we're, we get to expand. We're we're gonna. I think we're working towards about tripling our output uh, in the next okay. year or two. So, uh, new fermenters, new equipment, um, and uh, a whole lot of stuff that's happening. And, and I get to take my, um, my my degree back out off the shelf and design the space. Uh, okay. And that's uh, yeah, going to be a lot of fun. But it's going to be a busy, busy year.
0: Well, it's easy to build out a building. It's not very you – know, that's <laughs> not a lot of work. You just <laughs> buy the stuff, throw it in, and it works, right? You, there's no no – Oh, come
1: on. Yeah, come um, Yeah, We're lucky. We um, uh, the uh, the it's, it's a, an entity created to purchase the building that includes uh, my 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 former partner, who's like as I mentioned, he's an architect. He's still uh, mm-hmm. at the helm of his firm. It's a design-build architecture firm, and um, we were able to secure this building because they're going to take the second floor of the building we we're, we're going to occupy, and so. Okay they're actually going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. They're going to be the contractor. And they've okay. they've got people that can, in this day and age, you know, you want to get anything done, it's going to take two or three times the amount of time and two or three times the amount of money. Uh, I don't know about the money part, but at least the schedule part, we're going to be able to attack because we have insiders uh, going to help us build this thing out uh, fairly quickly. Okay. Yeah. And so that's that's been a good thing, too. And we'll have that uh, that little bit of deny- dynamic with the uh, Little business above us.
0: So when when do you optimistically hope to flip the switch and be open in your new facility?
1: Optimistically, December. That's probably as
0: hard of a question as asking which what Apple you can pick with. I you know, but I mean, do you have a an optimistic timeline? Yeah, I'm, I think I mean our target is January of
1: uh, next year. So that's we great. have about okay. what, six months or so, seven months. That's
0: that's a pretty aggressive timeline.
1: It really is. I didn't think it was yeah. likely to happen, uh, but the uh, the uh, the loan entity uh, gave us six months, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then okay. and then you know after you after you kind of recover from hearing that, you think well you know we do have uh, this dynamic where the design build firm is going to. You know is definitely motivated to help us get this done quickly they're going to pull strings and you call in favors and get people to come in and finish it out we'll see uh we'll see you know it may take longer probably will but but uh, you you said optimistically so i said january all right all
0: right so when you know because you've got all this free time on your hands what do you what do you and and your wife uh, what do you guys like to do for fun and entertainment around the spokane area well, uh,
1: we are outdoorsy folks, uh, and one of the things I, I love about Spokane is its proximity to a lot of good recreational stuff. Uh, the second, first, the largest state park in our in our state is uh, River is uh, Mount Spokane. Uh, that's not far away, and there's wonderful hiking to be had there. Uh, but the second largest state park in the state is. Um, it, it abuts downtown, or actually, you know, it becomes kind of a greenbelt extension of downtown. Uh, it's Riverside State Park. And that was one of the reasons I just, that was the deal break. I mean, was, that closed the deal for me when I came to visit Spokane. Cool community. I'm an avid mountain biker. And I was mm-hmm. able to, you know, pop out of my hotel room, uh, you know, ride maybe two or three blocks on asphalt,
0: Okay.
1: found a trail. Uh, that took me to, from downtown to Riverside State Park, which was just, it's a really, really beautiful park with trails everywhere. And I was, okay. I, I stopped, I was up on a hilltop. I looked back towards downtown and there's, you know, there's these towers, these, you know, this cityscape set in, you know, this uh, bowl of green, you know, on the, the the hill trees 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 and then just beyond those trees there's a downtown and it's just a just amazing view and i you know i thought you're not going to get this many places Uh, this is something special i had a little bit of that in austin but not like here Um, and so we're you know outdoorsy folk we like to uh, ride the centennial trail and uh, mountain bike My, my wife's an avid road biker uh, amazing okay. road biking to be had south of here all around, frankly, but as many country lanes as we have, um, there's, there's plenty of places to, you know, to just kind of get off and pedal. Um, we run, in fact, I'm going to be doing my very first marathon in about three weeks. Um, which one, which marathon? called the Windermere marathon.
0: Where, where's this held at? It's
1: held in Spokane. It starts, um, in Liberty Lake, just east of here, near the Idaho border, and it's a one way. You start out there and you run back towards downtown. You finish in downtown, and it just happens okay. to be twenty six miles, 0.2. It Just happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It
0: just happens to be. Yeah,
1: but it, it follows. It's 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 a gorgeous course because very little of it uh, happens along uh, arterials or roadways at all. It happens along the okay. Centennial Trail, which is a um, a non motorized route. Uh, it's like 70 miles long total. Uh, starts in oh. Idaho, you know, and then goes mm-hmm. up past Spokane uh, towards the confluence of the Spokane and the Columbia. But um, but it's this wonderfully you know, quiet, paved trail that follows the course of the Spokane River. So the the net elevation gain is actually a negative. So you're kind of running a little bit downhill the whole way, uh, and so it makes okay. it. Uh, that was kind of. I thought, you know, maybe if I'm going to do a marathon, uh, at least I won't have to run uphill much. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's another thing we do.
0: Uh, does your wife run? She does. Yeah. Is she gonna Is she gonna do the marathon?
1: No, she's not. Um, okay. uh, yeah, well, not this time. She did the Portland marathon a not few years time. ago and and it was oh, always she's, she's already done a she's done one and i've okay. never done one she was always like okay felt like there was something over my head uh,
0: <laughs> what w- what is the furthest you've ever run so far i did 18 miles um
1: a couple weeks ago that was the first the furthest, okay. first first ever run yeah um okay so we'll see i don't know um, okay
0: all right well I. I I applaud you (laughs) uh, I'm tired just hearing you talk about running. So it's like, I'm just like, okay. Always ask my guests, are you a coffee drinker?
1: I am definitely. In fact, I Uh, I get carried away with that too.
0: Do you? Yes. (laughs) Let's, let's, let's explore that for a second then. What uh, what do you mean by you get carried away with that?
1: Oh, well, I, it was one of my pandemic hobbies that I picked up, was, okay. was making coffee. We'd always had this espresso machine in the house. It's was like, well, it's just decent, but it's not like cafe coffee. Uh, but I don't know how even, I think it was YouTube. Uh, I think I discovered some videos, like uh, James Hoffman. Do you know him? It, I don't know that If name. you don't look him up. He was uh, the world I- uh, champion barista a few years back. Anyway, um, I, I discovered uh, Lever... Coffee machines. I have a, and so I ended up buying a La Pavoni, classic Italian, uh, old school. This is what we mean when we're talking about pulling shots. You have a Mm -hmm. lever, Mm -hmm. and so that pushes the hot water through the bed of coffee. And uh, it's taken a while to learn how to use the darn thing and to get good at it. But I think I'm there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my wife and I have a, uh, a latte, and I'm learning how to do my latte art. I'm getting decent at that too. Oh. Um, okay. So we have this every morning, and uh, we we make sure and and uh, uh, buy beans from our local roaster, our favorite local roaster uh, roast house, Deborah Dear Bernardo. Okay. Uh, hats off to her. And, uh, uh, and so yeah,
0: well, I'm, I'm which bit- uh, which of roast house of ro- I know I know roast house. They're wonderful folks. What coffee from them are you buying? What What do you like it, from them? You
1: know, it's a blend. This is the part of cider, a part of a coffee I'm not fluent in yet. Um, what kind of beans? I can't tell you. But is the blend called um, Epic? I think that we like the best okay. as espresso.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to uh, their First Avenue Coffee? I have. Yeah, it's just right so, down the
1: street from where we live. We live in downtown.
0: Okay. So that that coffee bar. The first time I walked in there. Started looking at the equipment and in my head I started adding up <laughs> the dollars that were and I'm like I don't know that I've seen this much coffee equipment in one coffee shop ever. Right. And and yeah, they're yeah. What a I love their pour over station where you can You know, they have all the grinders will grind for you around the spot. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's I love going to Spokane for that reason right there. First Avenue coffee. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. They have a flavor,
1: a coffee flavor wheel, a big poster of one in the back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, coffee nerds go in. I'm sure they do something similar, quite similar to what we do with cider. Yeah. Uh, Something else to love and appreciate. And if you want to get nerdy about you, you sure can. Uh, but they they right. do no. they do I appreciate that about Deborah she's serious she's serious about her coffee uh, and yes. uh, tries to her, her ethos about coffee is real similar to you know our our intended approach with cider
0: okay so next time I come to Spokane where should I go for lunch
1: you should go to um, you should go to um, um, oh Charlotte the ceviche place. Oh, um, Chad White's, Chad White's place that for sure. Uh, Zona Blanca. I have not tried that. Zona Blanca. The name Zona Blanca just blocked, Blanca out of my head. But, um, yeah, Zona Blanca, Chad White. He's, uh, he's one of Spokane's, one of more and more, uh, really kind of, I'd say star chefs that have taken up residence here. Uh, he was on, Mm -hmm. uh, top chef, uh, contestant and did Mm -hmm. quite well. But, um, besides that, star power um he's uh, he's got a couple three restaurants and, and i think the best one is his ceviche bar called zona yeah, he has
0: a barbecue place uh-huh. he has a barbecue place yep. and he has the lobster roll place right and he was a guest on on the show before he was a very nice guy yeah
1: yeah well, i didn't know he was a guest And
0: i just keep yeah i keep meaning to go there and and to try it. And every time I've gone to Spokane since then, something else has popped up and it's slipped out of my brain. And I'm going to, I, cause that's Zona Blanca is something I've, I've been looking forward to trying. Yeah. It wasn't opened quite when we interviewed him. Mm-hmm. It was going to be open. Yeah,
1: it's open now. So yeah, you will not be disappointed. A lot of times he's behind the counter, uh, you know, and you can kind of wave at him if you want. I bet if you've met him, you, you can do that now uh but shoot i mean that's that's it that's the whole deal i mean you can get that plate and and almost always you want to take a pic as rude as it is you want to take a picture of it cuz it's just presented so <laughs> so well it's just art on a plate and then you taste it it's just over the moon good um so that that would be a a, a good solid choice for you scott
0: okay okay get out of jail free question what didn't i ask you that i should have um
1: I think I kind of forced my way into that discussion about the wild yeast. I'm so proud of that. I really enjoy uh, using native yeast with our products. I think that's just a sort of a natural extension of uh, trying to express the apple. We're expressing the, uh, you know, the yeast, the various types mm-hmm. of yeast that have proven themselves to be durable and survive on those apples in that orchard, um, and then in turn... Are doing their part to create the cider, and that gives a, a the, our cider a flavor that's even beyond the apple is unique to us because there's you know okay. yeast evolves and yeast um, uh, there's not like yeah, they are definitely strains you can purchase off the shelf, but ours is is uh, is a hybrid. It's a, it's a, it's a something that's evolved here, um, and it gives you uh, kind of a progressive, if done well, it gives you a nice a progressive character character filled um complement to what the apple provides it adds personality okay. to a cider it it helps tell a story on your palate if you're sensitive to it uh, and it's mm-hmm. something you can talk about if you want to but you can just you can just plain enjoy it um okay so want yeah i'm glad you asked that because i did want to hit on that that's I think that's important. I think that's one of the things that I noted when I was in France, or uh, or in the UK. I have yet to make it to Spain, but uh, but you can you can really tell area to area um, how how there's there's a, there's a characteristic to the cider there that's unique to Camembert or uh, you, different parts of France um, that that are really owing or they're owing largely. To that microflora that is resident there too, okay. uh, so it's kind of amazing thing that, that I don't know a lot about yet, but I sure do appreciate it.
0: All right, where can people find out more about Liberty Cider Works? Our website
1: tells a lot of uh, a lot of the story, what we intend and what we offer. Um, so I would you know go there. Shoot, um, if 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 you happen to be in Spokane. Uh, do drop by. I mean, we see our tasting room as a uh, uh, point of uh, cider evangelism. I mean, it's it's a tasting room, yeah, but it's also a place for us to get people excited uh, and passionate mm-hmm. about this beverage. And so, if you want to have your ear talked off, if you've got questions, uh, and I'm there, uh, you can have it all. Um, and okay. most of our staff is just is, is just almost as conversant insider, and they can tell you. Uh, all you possibly want to know and get you on the path to becoming a cider head yourself.
0: Uh, from a distribution standpoint uh, for, for our audience that's maybe on in Western Washington um, is Liberty carried anywhere in Western Washington.
1: It is uh, we do self-distribution for business reasons, but um, and so that limits us a, a little bit, but um, I will say there, there's a bunch of really fine bottle shops that that i I won't list off here that, that have us, but I think the easiest place to re- for a Western Washington person to find us would be at uh, PCC Markets. I think there okay. are eight, 16, 17 of those scattered around the, the yeah. metro, uh, and we're on the shelf mm-hmm. there. Um, okay. Yeah, you'll find, I think, Excellent. three or four of our products uh, there, and so you can get, the uh, you know, try one. I think you're going to be, uh, you'll be very happy. And, and, okay. and, and then you'll hopefully try more of the stuff we make. Cause we make a ridiculous number of ciders. Um, you know, I, I don't know of anyone that's doing as many single varietals as we are. Um, okay. and so you can, you can come on the adventure with us.
0: All right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I enjoyed myself and, uh, I wish you all the success in your marathon. <laughs> thank you. That's I mean, just, <laughs> just, just, just completing it will be a, uh, uh, for, you know, do you have a time? Are you, are you aiming for a time?
1: Yeah. I'd like to be at or under four hours, which I think is a okay. nine minute pace per mile. Okay. Uh, I think I can pull that off, but I've never run 26. I mean, I felt pretty good at my 18 that, you know, I could keep going, but, uh, I can't believe people run 26, but, um, it
0: hopefully be me, but
1: that's my target. Okay.
0: Okay best of luck on that. And and again, thank you for taking the time to be here today.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Scott. This has been a real pleasure. It's been fun.
0: Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.